Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea uh, here on, I forget what show I'm on. Uh, I'm on the Don't Split the Podcast Network doing the DMs Deep Dive. Uh, today, I am talking with Lisa Chen. Uh, Lisa, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Lisa. You might know me from uh, some Dungeons and Dragons writing I do for the Adventurers League or Wizards of the Coast, including uh, Dungeons of the Mad Mage coming out. I am also the community manager for the Adventurers League, D&D's official play campaign. And a new role for me, I am also the community manager of the Dungeon Masters Guild, where you can write for D&D using their settings and other cool content. Um, and... The other other thing you might know me from is on this very network, Don't Split the Podcast Network, I produce and host a podcast called Behold Her, all about women in tabletop RPGs. Those are all my things. Can you, can you pack anything else in there? I mean, <laughs> you know, I, it'd, be, it'd be nice if you could do a little something for the D&D community somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I just, do one or two things. Right. This is one of the one of the awesome things about this this hobby um, is is watching you know, watching people rock it in and, you know, just grab this thing with both hands and start running with it. And that's something that I think anybody who's been following you on Twitter and following everything that you've been doing uh, has seen. Uh, and you're, you're, you know, it was a pleasure to meet you at Origins. Uh, was it? Well, it was a pleasure to meet you. It wasn't a pleasure to meet that red wizard that I met. <laughs> but that's, that's a whole different story that we'll save for some other time. Um, but I, I wanted to bring you on the show uh, in particular, uh, season eight of Adventurers League has uh is a very different season than all of the previous uh seasons that we've had in adventures league over the past four years or so and i wanted to talk to you in particular about the changes that have occurred this season uh why they occurred and how we think how you think it will change the face of DD in the future but uh between the time when when you and i agreed to uh, get together and talk on the show uh and now uh is when you got your new your new role as a yeah. community manager DMs Guild. I was wondering if you'd talk a little bit about what that what that job is like. What do you what do you do there? Yes. So I mean, there's a broad range of abilities that are in different stages of transition right now, um, or responsibilities rather. Um, I am basically uh, the point of contact for all of the wildly creative authors who are on the Dungeon Masters Guild. So if you have a question um, about uploading your product or uh, different features on the guild, I'm basically the go-to person, um, or I will be, for any and all questions. I've also started social pages for the Dungeon Masters Guild. So um, on Twitter, there's at DMS underscore guild, uh, and there's also also a Dungeon Masters Guild group uh, and a Dungeon Masters Guild page uh, for announcements or discussions, depending on how much info you want. And I'm managing all of those and just interacting with people. And it's been really fun so far. Everyone in there's this very tight knit group of community creators, um, mostly in this other fantastic community made group called the Dungeon Masters Guild Creator Circle. And everyone has been really welcoming, really, really excited. Uh, and just really kind. So it's been a fun gig so far. That's that's awesome. And I imagine you're working with a lot of folks that you have worked with uh, previously in the past because you are an accomplished D DMs Guild author yourself, and uh, uh, you're a Guild adept, right? You're one of the one of the members of the Guild yes. adept writers. And as is our our boss here at the station, uh, James Ritacasso. Yeah. So I imagine you get to interact with them as well in that in that regard. So I do. Be. Everyone, uh, all the guild adepts and also folks on Adventurers League are really excited that it kind of synergizes with the other stuff that I do. I get to be like extra helpful for everybody. Uh, but I've also just been really involved in the creator community in general. So even just the other Dungeon Masters Guild authors are folks that I know. And I won't name him, but one of them was my first email uh, where I was like, hey, you need the logo on your cover. You're missing that. Uh, and he he was uh, very embarrassed and asked if he was the first person I had to scold. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he'd wear it as a badge of honor. Did his, so that did his was... first name start with initials? <laughs> um, we'll say his first name begins with an E. Oh, okay. Uh, not M <laughs> not MT Black then. Oh, no, no, no. All right. <laughs> Um, so normally on this show, we start off with with three tips, uh, and we will we will get to those three tips. But uh, I wanted to start off uh, with a summary for people who may not be uh, you know hip deep into the D and D Adventures League about what 
specifically has changed between season eight and the previous seasons of the Adventures League? Could you could you summarize that for us? Yes, I would say that um, the major changes are a change in the reward system and also a change in the formatting of adventures. Uh, so for the reward system, instead of using XP, where you murder a monster, you get their XP, you add that all up and that's how you level. Uh, we're using advancement checkpoints, which if you're using hardcover books or you are using uh, older modules from previous seasons are based on time. Uh, if you're using the season eight content, it becomes based on objectives. So you are given a goal. And if you accomplish that, no matter how you accomplish it, you get an advancement checkpoint. And uh, it starts out as four advancement checkpoints to level and then it becomes eight. Uh, instead of earning gold through adventuring, folks earn gold as they level up. Uh, and instead of finding a magical item uh, and everyone sort of fighting over that magical item, instead folks now unlock uh, an item and add it to like their unlock list. And they use treasure checkpoints that they earn uh, to uh, purchase whichever, whichever unlocked items uh, they would like. That way you can kind of customize exactly what your character wants and if someone snagged an item um then you, you can still you can still get it which is nice so those are the reward changes um for the adventure formats we've gone from uh, like if someone's read an adventures league adventure it basically has like exactly what happens in the scene usually there's box text and it gives you examples of what players might do or what they're expected to do it could be one path and it gives you like bullet points of how to deal with that or what information they're told by an npc instead we're going to a more open-ended format which is more of a toolkit so you might be given a scene and you might have the NPCs who are in that scene, and your the DM is detailed what their motivations are. Um, but aside from that, players are going in with a goal they have to accomplish, um, but no set path of how they have to do that necessarily. Um, so more open-ended adventuring rather than um, like a one path or I guess railroad is usually the term. Uh, so I'd say those are the two major buckets of changes in season eight. Yeah, that's that's those are those are very interesting, and I'm glad you and I'm I'm glad you specifically talked about the the adventure. I think everyone's focused on the rewards, well, not everyone. I think many people are focused on the rewards, and um, not enough people are thinking about that that change in adventure. And um, so I have I have two uh, adventures league adventures that I've written in the past, and both of them were designed exactly like you described them originally. That I have like combat scene in the beginning, then exploration scene or NPC interaction scene and then exploration scene and maybe some small combats and then a big combat at the end. And I like, I knew that that was how it was going to go. And then it was sort of filling in the blanks. And that is very different from the idea of here's a situation that's occurring. Here are objectives that you need to meet. You decide if you're going to explore your way through it or talk your way through it or fight your way through it and, and reach those objectives. So I'm, I'm very interested. I, the, the first the first adventure, and you're going to have to remind me, it was a the, like it was like a zero zero adventure. The Once in Waterdeep by right. Will Doyle. Yes, yes. So that that one, like I read it, and you know my eyes are wide open the whole time I'm reading it, as this really wild idea of essentially creating a session zero in a single session D and D game, right, where the mm -hmm. the players are involved in what's going to happen in that adventure and uh, what who the antagonist is and what they desire and everything. It's just a a really wild way to, to to look at an adventure is that is that kind of the format or is that one really a special one? I would say that one was really a special one. Will had this idea where he felt like he could write a really different type of introductory adventure, and he totally did. I've heard a lot of really amazing feedback about how fun that is, especially the the like creative workshop you do at the beginning with the players. Um, but uh, this idea that that uh, you could really approach an encounter any way that you want, that is consistent across mm -hmm. all of them. Like I think in Will's Adventures, you even see uh, there's um, a sidebar. It's more of a footer where it details combat, exploration, social, the pillars of play, and uh, little bits of detail on what you might do as a DM if players 
try to approach a situation with that pillar of play. Mm -hmm. And that is consistent. And that is a new feature that we've added to all adventures, which is, I think, probably what I'm most excited about, because it forces the writer to think about the same scene in a lot of different ways uh, to try to write a scene that can be resolved in different ways. Yeah, I noticed I noticed that. So um, uh, MT Black, who we were just joking about before, wrote a new DM Guild Adept adventure, uh, like Blue Alley or something like that, mm -hmm. right? And um, and I was reading that yesterday, and yeah, I saw that it had the very clear kind of pillar descriptions throughout, and I went, huh, that's a really interesting, that's a very interesting design thing, and it, you know, it looks like a great adventure. I'm, I'm I'm eager to I'm eager to to read it more and to and to uh, to run it. So now that we've kind of outlined the changes that have occurred in season eight, uh, what are your top three tips for dungeon masters that are that are planning to run season eight adventures? Yeah, I actually, I wrote, I wrote little notes. So I'm going to pull them up so I don't forget. <laughs> um, okay, so my three tips, my first one would be that if you're going to run a season eight module, I definitely make sure that you read it ahead of time. It'll be less prep than reading some of the old adventures ahead of time, because with the nature of you're just kind of getting these tools that you use in a scene, it's less to read. Hmm. Um, so it should be easier, but because it's open-ended, I would ma make sure you're familiar with all of the different elements in the story. Um, and as my second tip kind of building off of that is as you're getting used to the new format uh, and you're prepping these adventures, I'd familiarize yourself with the tools that are available. So knowing that that sidebar is on the bottom of the page that can help you if someone goes in this crazy direction and starts having a conversation with the bad guy instead of fighting them, if that, uh, takes you off guard there's tips there um also in the appendix uh every adventure has a list of npcs and locations uh that show up in the adventure uh with the personality traits ideals uh bonds and flaws uh there so i would actually make sure you print that and don't staple it to the rest of the adventure so you can always have that on the side um and then i think if you do those two parts well then the, my third tip should be pretty easy, which is to go into the adventure with an open mind, letting the players really guide the direction of the adventure and to embrace the, the improv that comes with that, embrace the unknown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, so, so I'm, I'm splitting up the, the three tips here two different ways. Uh, what tips do you have? What three tips do you have for players that are, uh, going to be either starting with season eight or previous adventures league players who are now going to be playing season eight adventures. Yeah, I would definitely just from a rule standpoint, I would get to know the new reward system. I uh, get to know advancement checkpoints. There's a little bit of housekeeping that the player becomes in charge of. Uh, for example, uh, with uh, downtime days, you automatically get five every time you earn two advancement checkpoints, that sort of thing. Um, and, um, aside from rules things, I would take advantage of the new format of season eight adventures and allow yourself to feel less constrained. I feel like a lot of adventures league players get used to feeling like, oh, well, there's a certain way I'm expected to go through this adventure. So I'm just going to do that. Uh, if you want to talk to the crazy goblins, talk to the crazy goblins or go exploring and poking around in the different areas that you meet. It's possible the writer wrote in some little exploration features. Um, yeah, just feel less constrained. Uh, and then my third tip, uh, and this is another rules thing just because I've noticed it pop up a lot already on the Facebook group. When you unlock your items, make sure you get those details about rarity and what magic item table it is on from your DM before you leave the table. Uh, we get a lot of questions. Like if you don't have the Dungeon Master's Guide, it's hard to find that information elsewhere. Uh, so definitely make sure that you ask for that at the end of your adventure. Those are, those are, those are good tips. Um, so looking at the Facebook group, since uh, the release, it's been really quiet there. I noticed, like nobody's really saying very much. Is that right? Is that the experience? Mm, it does yeah. not feel like that because not. I, yeah. Alan and I have so many posts I, I to kid. sift through. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. there's like a thousand comments on every post. <laughs> yeah, there's post like a bajillion comments. Yeah. Yeah. People are I, real chatty. I'm, I'm, yeah, I was, I was being sarcastic. 
So, um, <laughs> and it humor. seems like, and, and, and you, you have read way more of them than I have. So, and I, I didn't do my normal deep scientific look cause I'm not downloading a thousand Facebook comments. Um, it seems like there's little controversy over the experience changes. You know, for the most part, it feels like people are fine with that. And and I think it's a really good change. Um, there's moderate uh, 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 controversy for the magic item stuff. Like some people feel like it's a, it, it breaks away from the uh, story of the game to essentially unlock an item. You know, it feels very Warcraft-like rather than, uh, the, you know, a pile of loot opens up and there's a sword who wants a sword. Right. Mm -hmm. And instead it's like, well, a sword may drop and no one actually gets it because no one has the points. Right. And they unlock it, but no one actually picks it up. Um, but it's, it also, and then there's a bunch of people who are mad that you're taking away their dual wielding Harzawan, uh, shield guardian. Oh guys. yeah. Those problematic yeah. items. Right. I guess that guy like, why are you taking away my stuff? So, um, sorry, I'm being a jerk to the people who are sad about their hearts one. Uh, and, but then there's the, probably one of the strongest controversies that I hear is about gold and, and the use of gold and treasure. Um, and, and, you know, having read about it for weeks and kind of thinking about it and talking to my wife about it, my wife is also a big adventures. Well, we're, we're both, we both play in adventures league at conventions and stuff like that. And so, so we're familiar with it. And both of us were kind of thinking about the, the gold, the gold side of it. And it makes perfect sense. Like, I don't really, you know, it's not for me, it's not the end of the world, but it also feels like that one of the key motivators for adventures is earning gold. Like mm -hmm. the, the, the big joke is you sit down with your, your quest NPC and he says, I need you to go to the goblin caves and, and pick up the weird idol that they stole and I'll pay you 50 gold. And you all go each, each? right yeah. <laughs> and now like that the 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 either there's either it feels like there's either two ways that that conversation now goes either the quest giver says something on the order of like you will get your level allotment of gold if you go down there and you know get the idol or they have an abstract amount like you will get you know 50 gold each mm -hmm. but you don't actually get the 50 gold you'll get the 50 gold when you level yeah um so how now that it's tied to the level and now that that is, is there how how is that affecting the motivation, particularly in writing about season eight adventures? Mm -hmm. How is that uh, being taken into account in adventures, and how will it be taken into account when we're running old adventures? Yeah, so for old adventures, we're not going back and editing every adventure season one through seven, unfortunately. So um, there is a little bit of where the gold becomes abstracted, or if I were the dungeon master, I might try and like just change what the hook is so that we're not mentioning it. But the gold piece uh, just because otherwise it doesn't make so much sense during the game uh, for future adventures. I know that a lot of us have been using the unlocked magic item as the motivator. Um, but I also think that there's a lot of possibility for players to take on what their own reasons are for adventuring i feel like gold is a is not the most creative reason there's so many other possibilities you could be searching for knowledge you could be uh, trying to build a name for yourself as an adventurer maybe you're not the nicest adventurer and you're trying to build people's trust uh, but secretly you're lawful evil uh, there is like a lot of fun, creative reasons uh, that you can come up with your own character uh, and i'd love to see people do more of that than necessarily feel like they only are adventuring to, to earn that gold. Uh, was there a reason that gold, this is a secret question that you didn't know about. So, but the, the, following on the gold discussion, yeah. um, is there a reason that gold wasn't awarded like the experience point thing was rewarded where you earned it per hour rather than earning mm -hmm. it at a level? Um, honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. I can speak to some of the reasons why gold was reduced so drastically. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of the reward changes, the format changes, those are more linked to making sure that Adventurers League is rewarding more styles of play. Mm -hmm. The gold in particular, I feel like, was an answer to people saying, I have so much gold. 
I have a ridiculous amount of gold. I could pay for everybody to live like kings across all of the Forgotten Realms. Um, but also people saying um, D&D doesn't feel, in the Adventures League, doesn't feel dangerous. I can just pop back up with magic and with spells that will bring me back. Um, and limiting gold kind of addresses both of those. Um, now, I will say you're right. That's probably the most controversial change that we made, um, especially in regards to classes like wizards and clerics, who mm -hmm. have those spell components. Um, uh, so we'll see how it goes. I do know that we we sort of tested out different player progressions with those classes to make sure they were feasible. And like wizards, you have to be a little more selective about spells that you copy and that sort of thing. Um, but in response to that, uh, we did um, create the option for you to trade in your treasure checkpoints for gold. If that, if having extra gold is really important to you, you do have that option. Yeah, and I, so I think that this is an important consideration, particularly because I mean, you're 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 the face of the Adventures League in all all of these various you know forums and on Twitter and everything like that. That the baseline for this started in Xanathar's Guide, right? Yes. Like the, the 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 end of Xanathar's Guide had sort of the initial baseline set of organized play rules, and the um the, you know, correct me if I if I miss if I misstate how this how this occurred from you know looking from the outside in mm -hmm. that essentially it was you know the baseline was started with that with those rules and then the adventurers league uh administrators yourself included and wizards uh, uh chris Lindsay in particular got together and said let's rotate on this a little bit and how do we tweak it so that it sort of fits better with the adventurers league but Absolutely. it's yeah but it's not like you guys had the opportunity to start from scratch and say yeah, that's fine with Xanathar's guy, but we're not going there. We're going to go do this, you know, we're going to do these other things, right? Yeah, unfortunately there were, like, even as we were sort of workshopping and figuring out how to make the rules uh, work for Adventurers League IRL, um, there were, like, restraints, like, certain things we couldn't change. Mm -hmm. um, I know, like, at first, uh, uh, we really, really, really did not want to put a price on treasure checkpoints. Part of that being that once they have a value, then all the things you can buy with treasure checkpoints sort of get this weird value that might not actually equal what their gold value is. There are a few people on our Facebook page who've pointed that out. Yeah, like Harzalan's um, worth 2,000 gold, and you're like, really? Yeah. yeah. The legendary <laughs> artifact. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we made that, we were able to make that, con that compromise uh, because there was such a vocal uh, response to the the gold uh amount yeah. yeah and and to me especially because i primarily dm and i've and i've seen a lot of what can happen when the gold value is unrestrained and it can be spent on things like well why can't i buy 500 healing potions you know mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just have a bag full of them and i never have to worry about resting again i'm just downing healing potions and leaving broken bottles behind me through every dungeon or um hero's feast is one of my least favorite spells right yeah you know if, if you can cast hero's feast as often as you want you know that's a challenge right but when yeah. when a thousand gold is really hard to come by you're not going to drop hero's feast unless you absolutely know you're facing an ancient green dragon yeah know? yeah yeah um so and say i i, I presume i haven't i don't pr play high tier stuff that often so i don't see simulacrums and and other sort of odd you know, odd high-level wizard stuff that I think can have a big effect in Adventures League, and from what I hear, have had an effect at least in in Tier Four games. Yeah. So, yeah. So that 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 the idea that sort of rebalancing the gold in value, um, you know, and again, not playing a wizard and not being super active in Adventures League, and certainly not being that active in high-tier Adventures League, didn't bother me as much. But I was like, that 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 idea, the motivation, you know, mm. like I, I you know, I don't know how that's gonna play out, like. As a DM, I don't know how I would run that if money is, you know, if money isn't one. Look, I agree with you that it's great to have a whole bunch of sort of intrinsic motivators to to mm -hmm. kind of get people um, uh, and get adventurers motivated to go do an adventure. But we all know that like the baseline for Dungeons and Dragons is some crusty guy gives you a bag of gold in order to go down to the basement and kill the rats, right? Like, mm -hmm. so it's it's interesting how that how that dynamic will change, and I'm kind of interested yeah. to see how it plays out. Um, yeah, me too. I feel like, yeah, there's, there's those two responses that we got. Folks who really liked gold for those 
like in character motivators and then folks who like mechanically needed the gold yeah. to feel like they can do the things they want they their class to do. Right. Um, the change was drastic. So I understand why folks reacted strongly. Um, but so far we're getting feedback from people who are like, Oh, this is, it doesn't feel as different as I thought it was going to feel. And I, I hope as we go through season eight, we find that's the case, especially as like we've just had Will's adventure release to the general public. Hopefully as more of the adventures release, we get that same reaction. Yeah. And I, I, it's, I bet you a few conventions will help, right? Like once you can pile in lots and lots of data from veteran groups and new players all together in these big circumstances, you can go, you know, talk to, to David Christ, at Baldman and say, Hey, so how, how's it working out? Like what kind of feedback are you getting in your little forms, mm -hmm, you know? And mm -hmm. it's just on the back, it's like zero, 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 zero and gold, right? <laughs> Where's my oh, gold? Oh gosh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, so moving along, um, in a previous episode of the deep dive, we talked to Paige Lightman, uh, who runs the Adventures League stuff at Dragon Con, I believe, and has uh, written D&D Adventures League Adventures and, and CCC. Um, uh, concreated adventures for Adventures League, and our and our our primary talk there. Have you you've seen? I have. I presume you've seen her posts with mm -hmm. sort of the, the dichotomy, you know, the, the 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 Venn diagram. I can't do it without touching my mic. Um, the Venn <laughs> diagram of, uh, and I guess in her case it was sort of two two you know normal distributions of people that are leaning more towards story and people that are leaning more towards combat, and um, the conversation was. Uh, around the idea that in Adventures League, you really have both kind of people. And I heard some, some you know, anecdotal but interesting feedback uh, at Gen Con from one of the people who wrote this. I'm going to narrow it down to there's only three. Uh, one of the people who wrote the D&D Open and who said that many people who ran the Open uh, loved it, right? And I thought it was the best D&D game I've ever played. The right? most fun I've had DMing ever. Yeah. Just, yeah. I absolutely loved it. But then there were other people who were like, what the hell is this? Like, this isn't a D&D &D game. This is us all playing make-believe, you know, was apparently one of the pieces of feedback. I don't know if that was 1% of the feedback or 50% of the feedback. I have no idea. But it, it kind of showed this big drastic difference in what players are coming to the Adventures League with. Um, so now that we're seeing... So Season 8 definitely feels like it's got an opinion about this, right? The design of season eight has an opinion about this. Uh, so how, and, and you already talked a little bit about the adventures and, and how they are, you know, leaning towards that idea that you can approach them how you want. Um, but in, in the discussion, how, yeah, how is that being discussed internally among the team? And, and sort of what's the general thought about how season eight is going to affect that dichotomy of players? Yeah. Is that, is that, that's a terribly worded question. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I get what you're saying. I, it's always really interesting to me when we talk about how Adventurers League maybe has a reputation for being very tactical um, or when we talk about the extreme dichotomy because in my experience playing at conventions, uh, playing in my local groups, uh, like there are people who are tactical, but at the same time, love role-playing their characters, love doing shenanigans, um, trying to talk their way through things, solve things creatively. So that's been my personal experience. And I feel like the Adventurers League, like any other place, uh, you're going to find groups that have different styles of play than you do necessarily. And in D&D &D in general, it's you find your people who like to play the way you like to play. So you have just like a fun, just a fun game of D&D &D, exactly like you like to D&D. &D. I guess what's the struggle with Adventures League, especially at a convention, is that sometimes you're, you sit with a completely random group of folks. And so you might have someone who really likes solving things peacefully and talking with someone who really likes to stab stuff at the same table. Um, I mean, I think we're, we, like you said, we are trying to address it a little bit with the design. Uh, but I also think that that's, hmm, that that's maybe 
something that just intrinsically a part of Adventures League when you are going to get any random group of folks together. I think our hope is that as we're making the social pillar and the exploration pillar more explicit in Adventures, forcing designers to think about every situation that way, that people as players will start to feel like they can explore things aside from combat um, and hopefully embrace that. And it's, we're, we're, we're sort of changing cult, the culture of Adventurers League, and that's not something that happens overnight. So really interested in seeing how season eight is received and how, uh, what that means for our community. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So I, I went to Gen Con and played in a whole series of Adventurers League well, yeah, a series of Adventures League adventures. They were the Moonshay, the Moonshay series that Bob and Games put together, and um, the tables I had were were definitely uh, DMs who are much more focused on tactical combat than the story of the adventure. Um, and it was funny because I mean, like in the fourth edition days, I liked tactical combat way more than anything else. Like that was what I I wanted to watch my characters fight stuff and kill it and be efficient at it. And the story was the thin line of sinew that connected together these three big battles that you'd fight in a in a four hour period. And I have, you know, my my opinion on it has changed. And the benchmark for me that like sometimes I say like, well, did it change or am I just wanting it to change? But then you know I, I played eight hours at that D and D open and we fought one guy and that fight took five minutes and we shouldn't have done it at all, right? And I <laughs> yeah. still had a hell of a great time. I just loved it. So that idea that kind of taking, you know, stepping back. And uh, so Mike Merles, when, when he was on the deep dive, mentioned this as well, that, you know, taking this less tactically focused look at the game and thinking about it at a, at a higher level and why are we doing this and what are the other options that are there and where else can we go? Uh, it'll be interesting because, you know, there are a lot of people who are deeply entrenched in Adventures League and have been playing since, you know, Living Greyhawk, right? They've been playing forever, uh, who really like the tactical you know the mm -hmm. the tactical aspect to it and um it will be interesting if how they will approach that will they get frustrated by the fact that like you know i want to see my character cast awesome spells and this jerk on the left keeps negotiating his way through every fight mm -hmm. you know it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out and it's and it's a dichotomy that i have seen at the table mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and and my mind goes back to fourth edition where they had these things called lair assaults um, where a lair assault was like a two hour or one, one or two hour D and D game. That was just a big fight and it was really hard. And there was all kinds of tactical stuff that went on and it, you know, it'd be interesting to see, is that, you know, is that something that's going to happen where if you really just want to fight stuff, we have a little table over here, you know, or a mm -hmm. few tables over here where you will, you know, it would be cool. Yeah, it would so be cool know. if conventions could have like, a matchmaking service yeah, for right. whatever party you join. Right, right. Uh, that would be cool. Um, while you're talking, well, you mentioned the open, and I feel like part of what made the open so fun was that it was, I mean, it was written really well. I don't want to make it sound like we weren't given information, but it was also written in a way where you don't necessarily know what the players are going to do. So the it prepares you to improvise as the DM. So when you're having, well, how long is the open? Like eight hours? It was, it was when, nine hours with a dinner break. Yeah. yeah. It, when you're playing for eight, nine hours and you're having social interactions, you're like actually, ha you're playing make-believe. Like you're actually having those conversations instead of reading off a list of bullet points of the information the character can give you. Um, which uh, I've been at some Adventures League tables where the DM will literally just read all the bullet points, like you don't even talk to the person, um, which is, have been unfortunate experiences. I think because DMs are given the NPCs' motivations um, and their personalities and not a list of bullet points, um, maybe some ideas of the general information that they know, it, social interactions in these new adventures will feel actually more dynamic rather than stagnant. And maybe that'll make that a more attractive pillar of play for some people who haven't been interested in that before. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm, my, Michelle and I are both going to Winter Fantasy uh, next year. So we'll be excited. I think that's, I don't know, is that the first big con 
I guess there are there a couple other conventions. Oh, no, so PAX Unplugged is going to have stuff. PAX right? Unplugged, Game Hole will have yeah, a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the well, Winter Fantasy will be fun. So then the bugs will be worked out by the time yeah. Winter Fantasy happens. <laughs> um, but that that for us is like our first big con after season eight has been out, where we'll get to see what what it's like and. Um, so I'm excited about that. So now, uh, one other big change that's happened is, uh, the release of Eberron and, um, Eberron as a world that people can write for in the DMs Guild. And I believe Eberron legal D&D Adventures League adventures, right? Yes. Are there, are there any out now? Um, yes. There is a packet of uh, well, encounters in Sharn. So they're like shorter encounters, not full adventures uh, that you can play. And we also just started to release an adventure path uh, that James and Tricasso of Don't Split the Podcast Network is, <laughs> is project managing. Um, and the first one, which is called The Past is All That's Past is Prologue, I believe, uh, by Alan Patrick. That just came out today. Ah. Uh, and it is a illegal for the Eberron campaign, uh, and you play it with uh, pregens, and it's designed to help you learn uh, some of the lore of Eberron. That's right. It's a level. It's a level zero. Adventure, level right? zero yeah. pregens. Yeah, yeah, which I think is a really cool idea. Um, I am of all the guild adepts and the admins. I mean, I'm the newest to D and D in general. So with fifth edition being my first edition, I don't know a lot about Eberron. Um, so I was talking to Alan about it and he said, yeah, Eberron has a lot of lore. Uh, so that can be intimidating. Let's make an adventure that you just play it and learn it. And then it's not intimidating. Uh, so I haven't had a chance to read his yet. I'm really excited to though. Uh, it seems to be doing really well on the Dungeon Masters Guild. So that's kind of cool to see that people are really excited about the Eberron campaign. Uh, so you may, you may not be able to, to mention this. And if you can't, you just say, sorry, I can't say anything about it. Uh -huh. Did Wizards of the Coast come to you guys saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and release Eberron uh, to the DMs Guild? And uh, or, or how did that how did that occur? Um, we were told uh, ahead of time that this would be happening. Um, and uh, we knew that it would be a separate Adventurers League uh, campaign, although compared to the Forgotten Realms campaign, um, it's pretty it's pretty light. The packet of rules uh, is similar, definitely based off of the Forgotten Realms rules, slight differences. Um, and uh, we knew that we wanted uh, the AL legal content to be written by Guild Adepts. Uh, so that is kind of like a cool different way, or at least how we're starting to create a illegal content for Eberron. So I will, I will put in this, this plug now, since okay. I have you here. If you guys are considering, if you hear anything about Dark Sun being the <laughs> same way, and if you do not bring Teo Sabadia into the fold for Dark Sun, uh, a great injustice in the world will have occurred. Uh-oh. So he is <laughs> all about Dark Sun and has tremendous, you know, did tremendous work with the Dark Sun, uh, uh, with the Dark Sun organized play program, Ashes of Athos, that happened a few years ago. So just, I'm giving it to you so you can feed it into the the, the communication pipeline should it ever Duly occur. Duly noted. He, he Duly noted. Do you know, do you know Teos? Have you, have yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Oh man. What an awesome guy. So I'm just, I'm just plugging, I'm plugging for him. Um, I, on the other hand, don't know anything about anything. So don't, don't talk to me about it. Um, I don't know. There's like sand. I think there's sand in there. That's as much about Dark Sun as I know. Uh, so when we look at Eberron, the characters that are created for Eberron are separate from the characters that exist in the Forgotten Realms. Totally separate, live in a different world. So, so for Eberron is the only place currently where it is, every character that's playing in it is a season eight legal character, period. They will never have converted any of their stuff over. Correct. Uh, and that's different than Forgotten Realms, right? Like in Forgotten Realms, if you're playing tier two, three, or four, presumably, you might be carrying over a whole lot of gold that you had from previous stuff. Yes. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. Will there be a great imbalance in Forgotten Realms? Because you'll yeah. have pre-season pre eight with post-season eight people. Some people said we should have done just a hard reset. I don't know. I feel like... It was enough trauma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was already enough trauma. Don't, don't hurt any. Yeah. Don't hurt anybody. Um, but yeah, so, so are you is, there any, is there any concern about sort of splitting the player base up by 
you know, the Eberron people on one side. There's there's all these legends about about in second edition when they created all of these game worlds and they had Planescape and Spelljammer and um, you know, Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms and you know, uh, the name goes on and on. That they ended up oh, Ra uh, Ravenloft, right? They had the whole they had all these different worlds and they felt like they split the entire market up into nine games instead of one. And it was like the Ravenloft people didn't want to have anything to do with the Forgotten Realms people who didn't want to have anything to do with the Spelljammer people. Mm. Um, is there, now I, I, I don't imagine it's going to be anywhere near like, you know, Wizards has learned a lot since then. Um, but is there a worry that in Adventurers League, there's sort of like the Eberron people are on one side and the, uh, you know, Forgotten Realms people are on another. Is that a concern or you'll see how it, it goes? I mean, it's so new. It's really hard to say. I will say no one's really talked about it behind the scenes as a major concern. I think we're just really... A lot of the AL admins love Eberron. So I think mostly there's just been a lot of excitement mm -hmm. about the new campaign and being able to write for the Eberron setting. Uh, so I wouldn't say that's a big concern, no. Okay, yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see that. My, my wife and I have played Eberron before, so we're both excited to play in Eberron. And, I, and I'm kind of excited to start in a whole new... I was very excited to start in the Moonshays with a brand new character that was just driven on the moon chase and I had five terrible games. So now I'm like, well, oh, no. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll go with Eberron and maybe that'll be more interesting. <laughs> um, so I have a softball question and a hardball question. Which one do you uh -oh. want? Oh, um, let's do the die? hardball do question. The hard oh no, question. no, let's, no, let's roll. Okay. I don't know what this number will mean <laughs> to you, but six. All right. Hardball. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so Mike Merles, uh, one of the things I love about Mike Merles is he posts really interesting, really controversial tweets sometimes. And I love to just like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I guess I'm an agent of chaos. And I love to watch like these, these sort of explosions of, you know, again, this giant culture shift that I think is occurring in in D&D. &D. And um, he, he said one in particular. Uh, I, I think I posted a tweet that had something to do with the Adventures League. Oh, I remember what it was. I, I, I was happy with the fact there, there was people, there were people that were upset with the fact that hard, hardback adventures really didn't follow the guidelines that Adventures League adventures typically follow, but uh, were still AL legal. And they said, like, why is Wizards not writing these things to be more in line with the standard Adventures League format? And I said, I don't want hardback adventures. I'm glad they don't like, you know, uh, like for me, I like that hardback. I don't want to see the creators of hardback adventures restrained by the Adventures League rule set because it's like 25% of player base and 75% are playing home games. So that's a, you know, questionable statistic. Um, anyway, in response, Mike Merle said the following. Uh, our research has shown that the way RPGs are played in RPGA-style OP programs, organized play programs, or at least how they are perceived to be played, is pretty unpopular with people who want to play RPGs. Uh, and then somebody asked him, like, wow, can you unpack that a little bit? Like, that's quite a statement. And, it, and his next tweet, one of the tweets, he asked, like, why is that the case? What are they, why do they feel that way? And he said that the overarching feel is that player actions don't affect the game world and DMs are bound by the rules instead of running a fun game. Uh, did you see that when it occurred? Yes. How did, how did, how, what was your reaction to that? Mike is tweeting again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily unfair to say that, especially it's how official play is perceived. I'd say how it's perceived is definitely that like dungeon masters have to, they can't modify the adventure at all. They have to play it exactly as is. So everyone gets the same experience. Some DMs are scared even to modify the combats because they don't want someone to think they got an unfair fight. Um, and again, this reputation that it is very combat tactics heavy. And like I said, that hasn't been my experience, but I think that is how it is perceived. Um, I also think hmm, the, the Adventurers League is very different because if you're playing a hardcover adventure, I feel like a lot of people have a character they build just for that adventure, 
and they play that hardcover adventure and then the next campaign they do they make a new character and that's not the case in Adventurers League you can always have your character and take them uh, to different books and I think when you just have that one shift uh, where you can carry on that character there have to be other rules to kind of keep things uh, fair yeah, and it, um, it changes very much the story at that point. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, if every character has a story, but my my character's story arc is not parallel to anyone else's because of the different adventures my character has played compared to everyone else, where if we have five people that are all building characters and playing through Tomb of Annihilation, we've all shared that one adventure. And like you say, the characters are written for Tomb of Annihilation. All of their experiences are with these same people in Tomb of Annihilation, and then they're all dead at the end of Tomb of Annihilation. <laughs> Um, or they're alive and they, they and they sold all their artifacts in Portney and Zaru and they've got all of the gold. There's reasons why we're not letting you necessarily carry that. Yeah. Carrying that. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> or not. Maybe yours is different than mine's going to be. Um, Half my longer. So yeah. Um, so th th there's there were there were two specific things that that Mike brought up and one was what you just talked about that you know the agency of dms to run a fun game uh i have two anecdotes that kind of supported that in one case i was dming an adventures league adventure and i changed the spell lineup of one of the casters that they were facing mm -hmm. and one of the players said that's not the spells that he's got in the module he's got these spells mm -hmm. and i was like no he doesn't and he's like you're not even playing the mod was his reaction oh. to it and i was like well i'm not a spreadsheet like you can go home and play by yourself yeah, you know? I mean, you are even in previous rules, you are allowed to make that right. Change. Yeah, right, so, right, yeah. right. You're, you're, you know, you were, but yeah, he, he was upset by that. But I was also upset by the fact, that, like, how did you know exactly what spells he had? Mm -hmm. Um, and then in in other ones, I've definitely played at tables where like the game went south and it, nobody was really having a particularly good time, and I get real grumpy, and the DM kind of shrugs and says, "Well, that's how the adventure's written," and you're like, "You have full authority to make a fun game." Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. So and so again, I, I'm I know I know I keep going back to the new format, but it's the thing I'm most excited about for season eight because it's like you're just given a toolkit of what the adventure is. You, we're really empowering DMs a lot more to shape the adventure to however the players want it to be and bring their own creativity to it, maybe, uh, which I think is really cool. Yeah. yeah, maybe the difference now will be that they have to. Yeah. Right, like before, they could just follow the adventure straight through and just go, "Well, sorry, that's the way it's run." And now they're like, "No, it, you know, you're gonna have to cook." Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, at not... Queen City, at Queen City Conquest, I roomed with someone who's really involved in the indie RPG industry, and we were talking about the Adventures League changes. He was really curious, um, and um, uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, yes, I was talking to him about the XP changes to advancement checkpoints and how for the season eight modules, they're objective based and you can really go about it any other, go about solving those objectives any way that you want. It's completely open-ended. Um, and he said that that actually made him like Adventurers League more than typical D&D because coming from like an indie RPG standpoint, he felt like D&D, it's all about just killing monsters and getting XP to get to the next level and he, he cited some sort of um, I think a web comic where someone goes into a tavern and is like everybody run there's adventurers coming and they just need 10 more XP <laughs> yeah so he said that he loved uh, coming from games where you really can approach things anyway and that's just the norm uh, that he really loved that adventurers like made that change so that was kind of cool to hear that from someone who isn't typically a D&D person yeah I think I think that 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 change of going to a checkpoint system instead of experience points, that's one where I think um, uh, Adventures League is actually catching up to the rest of the world. Um, because I, I ran a survey about this. I was curious. I don't remember why I did it, but I did a survey recently on Twitter, which has all the biases of the fact that it's people that follow me that self-selection bias and all that crap. But um, we got 2,500 responses to it on how they, how do dungeon masters use, uh, how do they level up characters? And only 25% of them use experience points. And 75% of them are using either story-based leveling, session-based leveling, or some other leveling system. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And a lot of people are like, wow, you know, that." a lot of people are surprised by that. I wasn't because it's so much easier. Like, I don't yeah. know why anybody calculates <laughs> experience points. But um, I, I remember what it was. People, I, I, in a book I wrote, I talked, one of the 
you know, I wrote a book about lazy dungeon mastering and said, uh, you know, one lazy trick is just level them when they want to level, you know, level them when, when it makes sense. Don't calculate experience points. It's just a, it's like doing income taxes. Mm -hmm. And, um, and somebody said like, well, is that normal or whatever? I said, I don't know. Like find out if it's normal. So, so that's one where I think like the rest of the world has kind of moved that way. Um, and now Adventures League is caught up there as well. Uh, so I think that's interesting. So I'll I'll ask the softball question, which isn't really much of a softball question, but it's not as much as saying, oh, you know, no, you tricked me. I just, yeah. <laughs> um, how have streaming, how is streaming D&D, &D, how is the, the, the world of streaming D&D, &D, it's this great big explosion in, in popularity these days. Um, how has that changed how the admins are viewing the Adventures League? I mean, I can speak for myself. Um, and when I was still organizing Adventures League at my friendly local game store, um, we would get so many new people who came in who found us on Meetup or they just came to the store to ask like, if there were D&D games to play. And I would say a total, like, I guess I'm making this number up in my head, but it feels right. 25% of them were maybe people who used to play Dungeons and Dragons or continued to play Dungeons and Dragons and they were looking for another place to do that. 75% came in saying, I watched Critical Role um, and all my friends watch Critical Role and we really want to play Dungeons and Dragons, but none of us have any clue how to actually play. Can you teach me? Um, and so those people would be coming in having seen how a streaming show plays D&D &D, and they'd be learning the rules at Adventurers League, which I think is a great way to learn the core rules because it's all like like legal, right? Uh, rules as written. Uh, and then you can modify however you want. But they're coming with the approach that they've seen in streaming shows. So they come in hitting the ground running, role-playing their characters. They all have these long backstories they're really shy to share. I was the same. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, played, I played Dungeons & Dragons because I watched Critical Role. So it didn't surprise me that there were so many people who are the same. Uh, and then you just kind of you get that influx of people who have this play style because it's what attracted to them to the game in the first place. Now, I'd say maybe like half of those people stayed and played D&D &D or Adventurers League. And the other half went home with the confidence that they knew the rules enough to DM so they could teach their friends how to play and run a home game, which I think is amazing. Yeah, I think it was um, I think it was Greg Tito who uh, was he wrote in an article or he was interviewed for an article and said that for the first time ever, more people are learning about D&D through streaming shows than any other way. And that's the first time in the entire history of the game where it's ever been, where there's been any other source of learning about D&D higher than friends and family. Like friends, learning from friends and family was the number one way for literally well, you know, 50 years, 40 years. And now it's shifted to learning, learning from streaming. And I yeah. imagine that a lot of people coming to the Adventures League, like you say, are coming like, hey, I saw this. And I have no idea where to play and nobody else around me that plays, but I want to learn how to play. So I'll go to a game shop and learn. Yeah. Uh, so I've hogged you completely in this. Uh, we like to uh, get questions from our audience and normally it's half the show, but now we're going to have to Oh, so, oh okay. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> but I, I, I had too many questions myself. Um, we have our guardian angel, Rudy Basso is here uh, monitoring questions. He's the one that runs this whole show. Rudy, what questions do you have? Uh, for Lisa tonight. Hello, I have a couple. Yes, I'm here. Um, just wanted to say thank you also to D&D for hosting us. Very delightful ah. thing to see happen. Oh, awesome. cool. Thank you. Uh, so we have a few questions. Also, I wanted to say, if you're doing Dark Sun, don't forget Robert Aducci. That guy yes, is Robert a huge Dark Sun guy. Him and Teos are the two fathers of Dark Sun in my eyes. Everyone, everyone just getting their Dark Sun. <laughs> plugs in <laughs> any other requests write them down <laughs> just wanted to throw out okay uh first off from twitter question with the uh this is mason is the evil twin with the emphasis on role playing and exploring in season eight what suggestions do you have for helping characters who come in midstream and have missed the previous adventures Hmm. I'm not sure. So is he asking, like, if you come in, like, mid-season yeah. to a table where people have been exploring together? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's nothing to stop you from doing, like, a little bit of introductory role play um, with folks uh, at a table. So that is always fun. Something else I really like to do... Um, I do it a lot when I play test adventures, actually. Or if I get a totally random group of people and the adventure feels like, 
it makes sense for them to have known each other for a while. I make folks do introductions where you describe your character um, and what they look like and their name and personality and everything. And then uh, when you go, you say some sort of memory you have or bond that you have with the person who introduced themselves right before you. And then the last person, uh, the, the first person does. I don't know if that made sense. Did that sort of make sense? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of borrowing uh, from Dungeon World, where you create a bond or link with other characters. That's fun, because then when you play the adventure, you can kind of bring that up and play off of that. Creates lots of inside jokes. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Rudy, what else do you have? From Shortman Ian on uh, in chat. Are there any plans by Adventurers League to implement new player tables at cons for first-time players who are interested in D&D? First-time players only. Yeah. So our convention presence, there's always like either groups or individuals who take the lead and organize Adventurers League for conventions. And we completely depend on the amazing, amazing organizers we have all over the world. Um, and I know that there are a number of folks who are who already are implementing new player tables. Uh, usually they'll run the, the season introductory adventures, especially those that were split up into little one hour bits. Sometimes new people kind of want to get in, try it for an hour. And then if they like it, they come back later and try to do the other four adventures um, or mini adventures. Um, but I think that's a great idea. It's always fun to learn with folks um, because then it's not so intimidating. You know, everybody's new. Excellent. Rudy, what else you got? Uh, just one more, again, from Shortman Ian. There can be a lot of negativity going around, especially when big changes happen. But what are some of the positive things that you see as you travel to cons and meet the players of this amazing game? And Mike, you answer this too. Um, oh my goodness. I love, love, love talking to people about their characters and hearing about their backstories and different things they've incorporated from adventures that they've played into like the core of their character. I think that is the one of the best parts of Adventurers League that your character is yours and you can just keep playing them. Uh, they really build these really rich lives behind them. Um, Almost every con I go to, folks will come up to me and make sure I, uh, I know that they recognize the things I do in the community. And that always makes me feel so incredibly good, especially at Queen City Conquest. A lot of folks are coming up and saying, I know there's a lot of negativity about Season 8, but I love the changes. Or I was grumpy about some things, <laughs> but I'm still playing and it's not so bad so far. And, uh, or just, uh, like, I hope you know that there's a lot of people who support everything that the admins do. So just the community is just a bunch of nice, awesome people who have the same exact hobby that I do. So I just love meeting the people. Uh, say that question again, just so I make sure I'm answering the uh, right thing. What are all the positive things you see at conventions from the players that you meet? Uh, so one, I mean, I'm kind of an introvert. So I'm like my favorite part of conventions are when I get to hang out with people like, uh, you know, like Rudy Basso and James Intercasso and, and, and Teos and other folks, um, and get to play with people I don't normally get to play with. Um, so I think by far the energy of an open or of an Epic, uh, Paige Lightman brought this up as well, that, you know, a, an, an Adventures League adventure, like when you go to a game shop and you sit down with with people and you play an adventure with Adventures League, is a good a good way to get you know your D and D on, um, but it's probably not as tightly knit as playing with your friends at home uh, that you know with characters that you built together and and sort of all the personalities of people that you know and like. Uh, but there's no way at home that you get the kind of experience that you get in a an open or in an epic where you're watching 50 tables playing together or you know like in the in the epic the red war at origins you know everybody's involved in what's going on and what's happening at one table is affecting what's happening at another and that kind of thing you know having played in a whole bunch of these now is a kind of D&D that you you really can't get without being at a at a convention like that and just to keep gushing about the open um, you know, having the 
sort of the pit bosses walking around in their water Davian guard outfits, you know, with their kujils over their shoulders. And like every time they'd walk by your table, everybody would shut up about whatever <laughs> plan they had, or they would immediately start just making up a story. And some people were bribing them with donuts and it was hysteric, <laughs> right? That, that kind of stuff, that sort of almost LARPing, you know, it was like bringing the D&D group into the LARPing world by, you know, having these guards kind of, they sneak around and kind of look over his shoulder. That was, you know, that kind of stuff just can't, you, you can't capture that anywhere. You know, anybody who has the, 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 uh, option to be able to go to a convention and play in a in a in a in an epic or an open like that. And now I'm going to share my favorite moment of the Red War, uh, oh, no. in which uh, so here I am. We're playing the Red War. We are fighting all kinds of stuff, and we finished our little section of it early. And it's you know a little late in the day, and I kind of wanted my after. I get I get grumpy if I don't get my afternoon coffee, and I look over, and there's there's Lisa with her red robe on and a red hood over. The hood was very, up. Hood was, hood was up. up. But very I didn't, important. I didn't, I didn't catch the, you know, I didn't catch the subtlety. I'm not a very, I don't pick up on subtleties. And I walk over and I said, hey, Lisa, do we have time? Do I have time to go run over and get a coffee before the next section of it? And she looks at me, eyes narrowed and says, your group is attacked by two red wizards of Thay and a black guard. <laughs> and I look at her and then, and I look and my whole table is staring at me. Like you bastard! And, and <laughs> Two red wizards and a black guard, and we killed them. And then I went and got my coffee. <laughs> you earned it, Mike. You earned I got your to say, coffee. And, and and no offense to the people who ran the Red War and wrote the Red War, it's really the only thing I remember about the <laughs> oh, Red War. No. Other than I think we saved a bunch of people from Red Wizards. I think that occurred. <laughs> but that, you know, so those sort of experiences, that, you know, the really, really fun times. And I think that my, the most positive things that I find at, at stuff like, at sessions like that is that ability to watch 50 players, 50 groups playing simultaneously in one situation and, and, and interacting with one another like that. Yeah, that's such a good answer. The energy of Epics is like unreal. Yeah. It's, Everything it's, feels like it's the most important yeah. battle you've ever had. And yeah, those are a blast. Yeah, just and and I just remember, you know, now I've played in a whole bunch. And, and again, Teos Abadia wrote one and James Dutercasso wrote one. Um, and I think it was a couple seasons ago. It was the Tomb of Annihilation one. And I just remember like the, you know, they, they sort of have these. I forget what they're called, but essentially like a, a, an admin type who will run around from table to table doing something, right? And like throwing red wizards and 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 yeah. um, black cards at people when they're bored. Um, but uh, in that case, it was like the wall of a room would explode and a Tyrannosaurus would attack you. And it was so chaotic. And I just remember like one of the guys at the table, the poor guy who just like, he was definitely a grid a grid combat dude. And, you know, kind of like had been playing forever. And when the guy came over and it's like, you're attacked by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. He's like, ah, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's looking at the map for the video. He's like, there's no Tyrannosaurus Rex. And the guy's like, what do you do? And he's like, I don't know. You know, and the dude kind of <laughs> was so outside of his like comfort zone when it came to playing a D&D &D game. And and he figured it out and we all got through. And that, that's where my character was killed and turned into the, he was the first character killed by uh, a Sarawak. Uh, and turned the first one whose soul was picked up by the soulmonger in the world, I think. Oh, wow. It was announced from the balcony uh, when hundreds of people. Um, yeah, so those, those, yeah, that was a real long-winded answer to that question. Um, Great one. So we have, we, have, we have hit our hour. Uh, Lisa, I know, flew by, right? Yeah. Would you like to talk more about gold and... Or, and, and oh, no, uh, well, I don't want to keep you. Right. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate you coming onto the show. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge a huge fan of yours. Uh, it was it was absolute pleasure to meet you at at Origins, and I'm looking forward to to seeing you at future conventions. You are a real shining star in this community, and you're doing a lot of fantastic work uh, in all of your jobs. And and hearing that you are the coordinator for the DM for the DM's Guild on top of the adventures, like I don't know how you're going to do it. That's a that's a whole lot. <laughs> But I, I think it's fantastic. Um, oh, thank and, uh, you. It's just it's great to have you in the community. And I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this uh, really big and interesting shift that we're going to see in Adventures League. Yeah. Uh, I, and, sorry. 
I was just going to say I had a lot of fun chatting with you and thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, 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 we'll have you back again. Well, in, in a year, we'll be like, wow, what a big mistake that was, huh? <laughs> I, I hope not. Goodness. Right. No, I think it's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm very excited to play in it. Um, Rudy, as always, thank you for, for, for guarding over us oh. and making sure that the, 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 you know, none of the naysayers snuck in. Oh. And I want to thank everybody on uh, 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 on Twitch who came live, and and thanks to Wizards of the Coast for hosting our show. I did. I looked down, and we had ten people following. And then all of a sudden, it was fifty. I'm like, wow, what happened? What did we start talking about that got everybody excited? Um, so that was so that was cool. Um, oh, a kitty. Oh, yeah, just oh, made it to kitty. the end of the stream. Yeah, the she was hiding. <laughs> Uh, we've had sometimes we have foster cats that wander by when I'm when I'm doing a stream. So yeah, want to thank you, thank you again, and thanks to everybody who who came on Twitch, and thanks to all of you who are watching on YouTube later. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. We get it. Well, I've got this cat wipe in <laughs> for the end. Yes, done. Nine o'clock. You're done. <laughs> Nine o'clock pats. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a fantastic way to end the show. So thank you very much, everybody, and we will see you on the next episode of the DMs Deep Dive. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to tune in on Tuesday at 1 o'clock Eastern, and we'll be having the next session of the Demon Plague Actual Play Podcast. Have a great night.